0: This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So, Father in heaven, we uh, hear the words of your son Jesus and we're challenged. Lord, help us, we pray, to kind of grapple with these words, to wrestle with them. And, Lord, we ask that your Spirit will apply them to each heart, Lord, in a gracious way, Lord, in a way that we can um, understand and uh, the way that we can put into practice. Lord, we, again, we ask that you would take into account our weakness, Lord, our brokenness, Lord, our sinfulness. But, Lord, we all call upon you Lord, uh, transform us so that we can live a life of holiness uh, in the likeness of your Son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen. (coughs) So if you were here last week, we um, talked about um, the, we did talk about holiness and its connection, unbreakable link, with um, discipleship, and that holiness is more than just a state, but it's a, uh, a daily discipline. And the uh, premise, more or less, is without uh, holiness, none of us will see the Lord. And uh, that can have a lot of different interpretations, depending on your denominational background or your theology. But I think we all can agree that without holiness, none of us will really understand who God is, okay? A holy God cannot be understood uh, without us properly uh, comprehending what it means to be holy. And today our lesson uh, is from uh, Luke chapter six, of course, it's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It is an incredibly huge subject, and within the one hour and 19 minutes allotted to me, I'm not sure that we can (laughs) even scratch the surface. Um, I'm sorry if you come from abroad. Here in Israel, people like to talk a lot. (laughs) And uh, there is an Arab saying, which both Arabs Arabs and Jews apply liberally, on words, and this may be the only thing on words, you pay no taxes. <laughs> <laughs> everything else in this country is taxed. so just like to not try to solve everything in this passage, but like to um, would like to look at um, just a few. Uh, a few things. So, Luke's beatitudes are somewhat different than Matthew's beatitudes. Luke's beat—Luke has four. Matthew has nine. Matthew includes some woes with his beatitudes. The beatitudes, uh, the uh, woes that we find in Matthew, uh, do not occur until uh, chapter uh, 23, when Jesus is. Uh, Condemning, you might say, or critiquing would be a better word, uh, the Pharisees. But I would like to um, just set some of the context, which I think uh, is important. And I think there are two issues, um, and maybe three, that um, help us to better perhaps understand these words and to think about ways or we, in which we can apply them to ourselves The first uh, that struck me in all of this um, was that uh, Jesus, after um, choosing, after praying, going up to pray all night, uh, then choosing the 12 disciples, it says that he went down with them, stood on a level place. Uh, A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I know people like to point out that this might be uh, Luke prefiguring or somehow uh, giving us a hint about the Gentile mission, but it does seem at this stage in the ministry of Jesus uh, that these the people who are most interested in hearing these words of Torah. Uh, these were Jews, fellow, fellow Jewish people. Um, uh, and listen, this is, what I think struck me in verse 18, who had come to hear him. The crowd came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And what I thought was very powerful about this is uh, first and foremost, and I do think this certainly applies to us, uh, these people made an effort not just to come and be healed, not just uh, an effort to come and uh, have their demons cast out uh, or have um, their problems solved. They came to listen to him. And this connection between works of power, the authority of Jesus, you might say his charismatic ministry, right? The anointing that he receives uh, at the Jordan River, uh, and teaching is sometimes not uh, often maybe very well stressed or or perhaps even understood, because there are times that we think about teaching as being teaching and laying on hands as being uh, laying on hands, but uh, it, does, uh, it does find its, um, you might say, uh, manifestation in a number of places in Luke's Gospel. Um, Just for example, um, in Luke chapter 4, it says, All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite verses in the New Testament is this verse also in Luke 4, which in a way, defines the mission statement of Jesus. And, of course, more than once you've heard me cite this verse. But it says, at daybreak, Jesus went out uh, to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. When they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent okay so here we again we have <clears throat> healing uh, in connection with uh, uh, people bringing Jesus there after the Sabbath goes the sunset and the people bringing uh, to Jesus uh, those who are sick and Jesus makes the, um, the point that um, he must uh, preach the good news of the kingdom of God. You also um, uh, have in in numerous other places, we won't do a complete Bible study on this, but um, in Luke, again staying with Luke, uh, Luke 9, uh, verse 11, but the crowds, it says Jesus goes to to a town called Bethsaida, but the crowds learned about it and followed him he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So here we have a, uh, a very direct connection <clears throat> between healing, between uh, exorcism, um, between um, actually even between discipleship. And I think it's important for us to remember that uh, especially when we think uh, of Jesus, that the words of Jesus, not just the physical, but not just the healing power of Jesus, uh, that these words of Jesus are indeed uh, teaching, uh, would be, are indeed things that um, bring healing. They bring restoration, they bring reconciliation, they bring deliverance. I'm reminded of the uh, saying of Jesus and uh, also in Jesus is in Comperdium, John chapter six, my words are spirit and life. Okay. So here we have the importance uh, of good teaching, that good teaching brings life. Good teaching produces life. Good teaching uh, sets people free. It brings healing to their bones, again, reconciliation, rest, restoration. And, one, and I'm also reminding of, reminded of a saying that's outside of the um, New Testament, but it's a saying by a famous Jewish sage, a very famous teacher, just before the time of Jesus. He says, the more Torah you have, the more guidance and direction and instruction that we have, the more life that we have. And so this is what strikes me uh, first about the passage. Again, the connection between the words of Jesus and this healing power. Now, how, you know, how are these words of Jesus applied? And we could very easily make the mistake as, uh, as done in many uh, different places in the Christian world that the words of Jesus are somehow magic. There's just no, that in the words, uh, there is uh, a certain power. But what really gives the words their power is not that people are somehow doing this magically, tattooing a saying of Jesus on their arm, wearing a bracelet <clears throat> like a good luck charm, um, kind of yelling and screaming. Uh, in reciting scripture as if it was a mantra, and I'm not against reciting scripture uh, necessarily or uh, repeating scripture. That, that indeed is, can be something very biblical. But the words of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus isn't magical. The power that it has is when you and I apply it to our lives. The power of Jesus is that when we hear the words, blessed are those who hear, Right? But even more blessed are those who do, okay? So we need to apply these words, okay? Um, And the life and this healing power or the power of the teaching of Jesus, okay, comes not only with the application, but actually it has to come with the listening. Okay, now that may seem kind of elementary, or that may seem even very simple. Yes, of course I'm listening to the words of Jesus, but is it really true? In our busyness, in all our activity, even in our ministries that we have, and the good deeds that we're doing, and the family life that we have, do we make an effort to listen? Do we make an effort to hear? Do we allow Jesus to speak to us and he does speak first and foremost through the scripture. Do we, do we know his life? Do we cherish his words? Or do we have some kind of some fuzzy idea about he said this or he said that? Are we aware that uh, we will be judged at the end of the age by his teaching and according to what he thought taught? Do we listen? Here's a crowd uh, many that makes a great effort, not just to come and get something from Jesus, but to listen to what he says. And uh, that requires an effort. And you know, sometimes God ca- brings us trouble, or he brings us difficulties, or he brings us, you might say, tribulations, whatever you might want to call it, just in order to get our attention so that we will listen to him. Is it not true? The minute things stop going well, we're all ears. Okay, God, I'm listening. Otherwise, yes, we often confuse our relationship with God, either with our ministry. If my ministry is going well, then God must be blessing me. If my career is going well, God must be blessing me and everything is going. If my children are growing up properly and they're not addicted to pornography or drugs, then, you know, so we can easily confuse the circumstances in which we live, okay, with, you know, our, uh, the quality of our relationship with God. So God oftentimes gets our attention does he not? So that we will listen to him. And that listening, as I said, requires an effort. It requires Bible study, not just a sermon a week. It requires praying over the words of Jesus and asking how they may be applied to our lives and what they mean for us. Those words might come to us through a sermon uh, or that the, the voice of the Lord may speak to us through a sermon. That voice may come to us uh, speaking through friends. It may come in some kind of charismatic way. And of course, in all of these ways outside of Scripture, they can never contradict Scripture, scripture itself. Something that we need to be uh, remind ourselves over and over again. But first and foremost, we need to listen we need to take this very seriously. I think the second thing that's really important, if we want to hear that voice, if we want to apply the teaching of Jesus, okay, is that we also need to uh, listen to the voice of Jesus and to be very, very critical of, of the brokenness and the deceitfulness of the human heart, as we read in our we heard in our first reading, the heart is deceitful. Because what Jesus tells us is important, what Jesus tells us is of, is of eternal value, so what we, what he tells us will last forever, okay? We don't naturally believe it, okay? What we think is successful, is oftentimes contrary to the gospel. And so consequently, we end up being entrapped, okay, by the fact that people may speak well of us, that we're well fed, that uh, we're satisfied, that, um, let me read here. It's um, that we're wealthy or at least we have our needs met in a sufficient way that we're comfortable. All of these things may deceive us. It may be a deception not only from the brokenness of our heart but from the culture because the culture tells us what what does success mean or what it means to be blessed. The culture tells us how we should live, and what we should value. And of course, we may be deceived from the devil. But my dear friends, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful that we are listening to Jesus and not listening to the brokenness within us. We have to be very careful that we listen first and foremost to, um, to Jesus himself, and not the culture. And of course, we must always resist the devil. There can be no healing and transformation if, by applying the words of Jesus if we apply them in the wrong way. And so often do, is it not true that the Jesus we create is a Jesus that we're very comfortable with and that our culture is comfortable with. Now, I'm, I'm all for therapy. But we have a therapeutic Jesus. I think therapy is very useful and very important. You can't turn Jesus into a therapist. I'm all for 12-step programs if that, helped, that that people find that helpful. <coughs> but you know, Jesus isn't a self-help guru who writes books on leadership. That gets, you know, uh, comes number two on the New York Times bestseller list. <coughs> So it's a warning. There is a warning here for us. So, how is it? What's the solution, you might say? What is the solution for coming into a state? Jesus, of course, talks about being blessed. And uh, blessed are those who are poor, he says. And Matthew says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now I think, I do believe Luke and, his, and, the, and the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts has an incredible concern for the poor. And I don't want to dismiss that and I don't want to minimize that. And I think that concern for the poor and the disenfranchised uh, has to be, you know, at the center of all gospel ministry. Okay, it's not something that should necessarily be on the side or something that should be uh, peripheral. I think it it, uh, very adequately uh, reflects the character of God. But I don't think what the passage is saying is that just because you're poor, that you're somehow in a happy state. There are those amongst us in our communities that romanticize poverty. There's nothing romantic about being poor or being sick or being diseased. And so, while on one hand, there might be, Luke certainly might be talking about those the, uh, who are poor, but he's also talking similarly to Matthew. Those who, are, those who are poor are those who realize they're not really in control of their lives. Okay, that uh, they're not succeeding in it somehow on their own, okay. And this knowledge, okay, this realization, is brings uh, enables us to live in a state of blessedness. What is blessedness? You could define it as being happy, but happy has become very cheap, has it not? You know, uh, and it's almost become a cliche. In this case, being blessed might be might really have, would better have the sense of being unburdened and living in a place of peace, okay? And this blessedness is connected, like in Luke, like it is in Matthew, with, this, with the kingdom of heaven, okay? Living in a place, okay? Living in a place, living in a reality in which you will, we allow God to be king and rule over us, to take control of our lives, and to put our trust in him. Again, that was emphasized uh, in both Old Testament readings, trusting in the Lord, putting, uh, allowing someone else to be the authority in our lives. And this uh, focus on the kingdom of heaven, coming to live in that place, Okay, coming to live in that reality. And here for Jesus, it's not, uh, again, I've said this many times before, and I'm sorry that I will, uh, you know, uh, bore perhaps the core congregation or the six and a half people who listen to us on the podcast. (laughs) One recently died, so it went down 15%. We send condolences to their family, but who's to say the family would be listening anyway? So, look. Um, for Jesus, this kingdom of heaven is just a present reality, and you read through Luke's gospel, whether it's Luke four, where Jesus is going is announcing the coming of the king, uh, the, the, the arrival, you should say, of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, whether he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven as he, hear, as he has done here in this passage or as he's demonstrating the kingdom of heaven uh, in his healing and his exorcism. The kingdom of heaven, okay, living in the kingdom of heaven, living in, again, that's not a physical place. And for the most part, it is a present reality. It is... Uh, there is a future aspect to it, okay? This is what, living in this place, okay, is what gives us peace and what allows us to live a life that's unburdened. And one scholar talked about this idea of being blessed as as the state of human flourishing. That God, for this is the, the this God and uh, from the beginning has wants, nothing more than our well-being. He wants to bless us, but how are we going to be blessed? Being blessed isn't necessarily. It could be, but it's not necessarily being well-fed, and it's not necessarily being happy, and it's not necessarily being popular, and it's not necessarily being wealthy. Now, we can be poor We can be unpopular, we can be persecuted, and still yet live in a place, yes, where we're at peace and we're not burdened, and actually we're flourishing spiritually. Now how does all this happen? How do we get to that place? That would be really the best question, the how of all these things. And again, as we talked about last week, this is always a process. It's a process of discipleship. It's really a process of being converted. Peter in the book of Acts on the the day of Pentecost calls upon upon the crowd to be converted. And that process of conversion is something that we desperately need. We sometimes think of ourselves as being converted and it's a one-time experience. We think of, uh, I was once on drugs, and the Lord touched my life, and all of a sudden, you know, something miraculous happened to me. Well, that is sometimes very often the case. But more often the case, I I would think for everyone, okay, is that conversion, which, by the way, is linked to repentance— and repentance is a, de- is a lifestyle, not a one-time event, because when Jesus t- calls upon us to repent in the Gospels, he's calling upon us to repent and keep on repenting. And uh, may I remind you that even at the end of the New Testament, he calls upon Christians in five of the seven churches in, the, in Asia Minor, as recorded for us in the book of Revelation, he calls upon these churches to repent. And repentance, yes, conversion and repentance, okay, this idea that uh, is well reflected, I think, in the book of Luke. It's well reflected as an ongoing concept. And the ongoing concept, Jesus will say in the book of Luke, unlike Matthew. Matthew says, pick up your cross and, and follow me. But Luke says, pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Or may I remind you of the description of this, this, this reality of the place where Jesus is king. Where does Jesus rule and reign? He rules and reigns in the places where we submit to him, where we say yes to him. We read it, we hear about it in the Lord's Prayer, do we not? In the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's not that there's something up there that's going to come down to earth one day. It's, we are submitted to the king, putting our fate and our life in his hands when we do his will. And when we do his will, we can come into a place of being unburdened, come into a place of peace, come into a place of flourishing. It's counterintuitive, but it does work. Remember the kingdom further, the kingdom uh, like discipleship, which is daily, Yes is it not it's a it's a daily walk it's a daily growth that's what it means to be a disciple it means to be a student and all of us uh, unless we're genius start off in kindergarten uh, and continue to grow uh, the same reality is reflected uh, in what and how Matthew describes the kingdom of heaven how Matthew describes the reality or that 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 uh, that place where Jesus is King. Matthew says that the uh, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like yeast, uh, and that the the uh, God's working, or God's authority that comes to us through Jesus the Messiah, starts off very small in our lives, yes, does it not? But it, like a mustard seed, it expands and it expands and it gets bigger and bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And that yeast gets bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and bigger. And my dear friends, I hope that we can say, sorry, that after 10 years, we can look back over the last year, the last five years, the last 10 years, and can we not say, hopefully we can say, oh, the Lord is more in charge of my life today than he was 10 years ago that his authority is continuing to grow and continuing to expand. But we have to listen and we have to make that effort to apply with the help of the Holy Spirit to apply those words. We also, as we, as we hear those words, okay, we, we need to persevere. We need to keep on keeping on. And that's the lesson in Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight we have Luke's version of the, of the mustard seed. Sorry, not of the mustard seed, Luke's version of the, uh, the sower of the seed. And, this, and in Luke's, Luke's version here, um, he tells us uh, that there are some who are choked by life's worries, some <clears throat> that are choked by riches, and some who are choked by the pleasures, uh, by pleasure, okay, and do not mature. But what is the secret that Luke tells us? What will bring forth blessing? What will bring forth fruit uh, and growth? It's perseverance, that we must continue to persevere. We persevere as disciples. We persevere as followers, as students, as listeners, okay, in order to come to a place of blessing, and human flourishing. To come to a place where we're not deceived, okay, by, you might say, the deception of our own heart, that we're not deceived by the culture, we're not deceived by, tempted by the devil himself. So we will know God's best, and God's blessing for us. Not about so much a question about being saved or not saved, Okay, God's intention from the beginning was to create, to bless, and to come into relationship with us. And he still desires to do that through Jesus the Messiah. He desires uh, for us to know his blessings as believers and for us to be related to him. (laughs) But these blessings have a cost, okay? And uh, the cost is listening, knowing the teachings of Jesus, listening to them, applying them to our lives so that we may know his healing, we may know his deliverance from the world, from the devil, that we may know uh, reconciliation and ultimately restoration. And no matter how much money we have, how full our pantries may be, how empty our bank accounts may be, that, my dear friends, is God's definition of what it means to be prosperous. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these challenging words. We pray, Lord, that we will will not be ensnared or trapped lord by a desire to be popular by a desire to be satiated in our lusts or even by a desire to have money but lord we pray that uh, we will value what you value and truly lord we ask that we'll be able to live in we'll be able to live in a place of peace and to know your blessings indeed lord we call upon you bless us lord bless us Allow us to live in a place, Lord, where we're unburdened, Lord, unencumbered, Lord, without uh, anxiety, Lord, without the need to uh, impress others, uh, without the need to uh, acquire riches. Lord, we pray that uh, you will give each one of us grace in these matters. In the mighty name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.